good morning. Uh, my name is Ryan Schreckengast, and I'm one of the leaders here at GFC. And this morning, I want to ask you the question, is there now, or has there been in the past, a situation or a sin in your life that seemed insurmountable? Maybe a habit, an addiction, a behavior that you absolutely hate but that you have not yet had victory over. Maybe this is pornography. Maybe this is anger, violence. Maybe this is bitterness. Maybe this is manipulation. The list could go on and on and on. And friends, have you wrestled with God over this? God I want this sin to stop. I just, I want things to change. Didn't you say, God, that you want me to have victory over this sin? God, why haven't you done it yet? Will you even do what you promised, God? Friends, if that sounds like you this morning, then let me assure you that you are in good, good company. Most of us here in this place have prayed prayers like that. I know that I have. And the heart of this morning's passage is exactly that. We're going to read Habakkuk chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. And that is what the prophet is wrestling with the Lord through this morning. For a number of months, we've been studying several poetic books from the Old Testament. And this morning, we are now to the fourth and final book of that series, which we have entitled Life, Love, and Lament. And that fourth book this morning is Habakkuk. Excuse me, Habakkuk. Habakkuk was a prophet of God in the southern kingdom of Judah during the final days of that nation. Habakkuk was a prophet of God, but as a church, we are just concluding our store, our study of the book, not of Habakkuk, we're just beginning that, but we're concluding our study of the book of Lamentations, which actually takes place after this book that we're going to start this morning, Habakkuk. And Lamentations chronicles the suffering that accompanied the end of Judah at the hands of Babylon. And so the prophet was written, or this book was written right at the height of that kingdom, or should I say the depths of Judah's sin. And it's just before the ultimate destruction of the temple, the exile of the people, and the writing of the book of Lamentations, which we just concluded. And so I'm actually very glad to be studying this book following our study of Lamentations. Because in many ways, I think it will be helpful for us to keep what is coming, what is going to be coming in Lamentations in mind as we study through this book. I think that this is like how watching a prequel of any movie has a, has a different impact on you when you know what is going to come. Maybe more so than if you'd watched it in chronological order. So, this morning, if you haven't read the book of Lamentations, or if you haven't listened to any of the previous sermons which we've given here at GFC, 
then I suggest that you do that because it will add a lot of context for you uh, and give you this, this foreknowledge of what God is doing as we read the book of Habakkuk. And so in this book, the prophet expresses his own godly lament as he has a very frank dialogue with God himself. He asks God, why and how long? And friends, he receives an answer. Although that answer is probably not the one that he expected. So let's look at Habakkuk's question before the Lord, which is essentially, will God be faithful to save and sanctify his people as he promised that he would? And that's the first part of your outline this morning. We will also see God's answer that, yes, God is faithful to fulfill his promises using even the violence and injustice of their enemies, which is the second part of your outline this morning. So let's read, read with me, please. Habakkuk chapter one, verses one through four. The oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw. O Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? Or cry to you, violence, and you will not save? Why do you make me see iniquity? And why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. So the law is paralyzed and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous. So justice goes forth perverted. Friends, here Habakkuk laments the state of his people's sins. And he asks God the question, will this ever change? We see the same language here of godly lament that we've been learning about from Lamentations 5. In verse 2 of Habakkuk, Habakkuk asks the Lord, how long? And in verse 3, he asks, why? And these are both words of godly lament. Because the object of both of these questions is the moral state that Judah has degenerated to. The book of Deuteronomy is clear about what should characterize the people of God. And friends, this wasn't it. When the people of Israel crossed into the land and took possession of what God had promised to them after he had rescued them from Egypt... Moses and the other elders spoke on behalf of the Lord in Deuteronomy 27 and 28. They stood on two separate mountaintops and they declared both the blessings of God. For if the people obeyed all of the commandments that God had given them and the curses for breaking those commandments. Friends, God commanded that his people were to be different than the other nations around them. They would be his people 
and he would be their God. They would be a beacon of righteousness, uprightness, justice, and truth. But Habakkuk sees in verses 3 through 4 that instead they have become violent, iniquitous, wicked, and unjust. And to him, it seems like God is okay with that. Because Judah continues to plunge deeper and deeper into their own sin. And there's no change in sight. Because up until that moment, God had apparently left them to their own devices. Which to Habakkuk, friends, was unacceptable. Something has to change. Either Judah has to change, or maybe God does. Because this triumph of wickedness cannot go on. And so Habakkuk laments, How long, God, will wickedness triumph even among the people of God? Why, God, do you allow the violence and the injustice that you claim to hate so much? Maybe you have to allow that kind of thing among those other nations that don't entirely belong to you. But surely, God, not among your own people. Now, we know... (laughs) From our study of Lamentations, what is coming? We know that God will bring every one of those terrible curses from Deuteronomy to pass. But try to hold that knowledge in the background of your mind for a moment. As we consider what Habakkuk might have expected God's response to look like. When he asks God to act, what might he imagine? What might it look like for Judah to finally change? Maybe the festivals of God would finally be observed again. Maybe the idols to foreign gods would be torn down in their cities. Maybe their neighbors would stop stealing from one another. And the homeless would finally not be taken advantage of. These are all the things that God commanded and should have characterized the people of God. Maybe this, friends, is what Habakkuk pictured when he asked the Lord to act. How about us today? What do you think of When you ask the Lord to move, what should it look like for God to move in State College, USA? Maybe even more seats in this room would be filled on Sunday morning. Maybe the culture of drunkenness and loose sex among college students would come to an end. Maybe the local government would stop making restrictive mandates. 
Maybe we would see revival and spiritual gifts expressed more frequently. Maybe the school systems would not teach gender philosophies that are contrary to scripture. Maybe my sin struggles would finally be snuffed out. Friends, these are the kinds of things that we imagine when we ask God to move in our midst, aren't they? And these would all be wonderful things, completely in line with God's word and his promises. God is fully capable of doing every single one of these things and more. And he might do every single one of these things. But he might not. And if he doesn't, does that mean that he is not at work? How long, O Lord? The wickedness of the world hasn't changed yet. Forget this world. The wickedness in this very building is more than enough. The wickedness in my heart alone. Let's just leave it there. Maybe you have to change your plan, God. Because it sure seems like it's not working. Will you really save us from our own violence and injustice? What are you doing, God? What are you doing? Well, friends, I told you that God answers here this question of Habakkuk. So let's see how God answers him in verses 5 through 11. Look among the nations and see. Wonder and be astounded. For I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans. That bitter and hasty nation who march through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings not their own. They are dreaded and fearsome. Their justice and dignity go forth from themselves. Their horses are swifter than leopards, more fierce than the evening wolves. Their horsemen press proudly on. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like eagles, swift to devour. They all come for violence. All their faces forward. They gather captives like sand. At kings they scoff, and at rulers they laugh. They laugh at every fortress, for they pile up earth and take it. Then they sweep by like the wind and go on. Guilty men, guilty men, whose own might is their God. Friends, how does God answer Habakkuk's plea to end the reign of violence and injustice among his people. 
He says that he is raising up an even more violent and unjust nation to rule over them. What? How could a just God raise up a nation as godless and evil as the Chaldeans in answer to Habakkuk's plea for justice? I think the answer, friends, is in verse 5. God calls Habakkuk to do two things. First, to look among the nations and see. And second, because of what he sees, to wonder and be astounded. So, what will Habakkuk see when he looks among the nations? He will see... The Chaldeans. That's Babylon, friends. In verse 8, he will see horses swifter than leopards, fiercer than wolves. He will see violence and fear and dread. God's answer is that for Judah, it is going to get so much worse before it gets better. Yes, Judah is violent and unjust, but from their perspective, at least, it's, it's our violence and injustice. We at least give some lip service to Yahweh, not Babylon. Friends, Babylon is the major leagues of sin. Verse 7, they don't even make a pretense of justice. Verse 11 says that they are carelessly guilty because their own might is their God. You want justice from Babylon? Justice for them is whatever the strongest says it is. Verse 10 says that they laugh at other nations because none can stand against them. And this is God's answer. So first, God calls Habakkuk to look at the other nations and see this violence and injustice. But secondly, he calls Habakkuk to wonder and be astounded. But isn't that exactly what Habakkuk would expect to see among these other nations... Other nations than Judah that don't belong to God. Wouldn't he expect violence and injustice among them? Why should that be astounding? Because of the second part of verse 5 and the beginning of verse 6. Did you catch it? I am doing a work in your days. I am am raising up the Chaldeans. Friends, God is claiming that what is about to befall Judah is his work. Now that is astounding. Because it means that the Chaldeans are no less God's instrument than Judah. 
That means that God is fully capable of using even a godless nation to accomplish his glorious purpose. Friends, in fact, God is showing Habakkuk that there is only one difference between Judah and Babylon. It's not the degree to which they are violent or unjust. And it's not his ability to have sovereignty over them. The only difference between God's people and everyone else is only his promises to save them and sanctify them. Friends, this is about God's promises. Remember that this book is an account of the personal wrestling of Habakkuk with the Lord. Habakkuk sees the sin of his people and he sees the sin of their enemies. And he asks God, To either change them or change his plan. But God challenges Habakkuk that in fact it is his own understanding of God that must change. Friends, yes. Yes, God will save his people from their sin. Yes, he will sanctify them. To become the holy people that he promised they would be. But he will do it through the most unbelievable means. He will do it in such a way that proclaims his glory. Not that of any nation or any individual. He challenges Habakkuk to change his perspective on what is possible with God. Because, friends, God is in control of Judah and Babylon and every single nation. God is completely and utterly in control. So, friends, Habakkuk pleads with God to end his people's violence and injustice. And God replies that he will do exactly that by raising up an even more violent and unjust nation. And he calls Habakkuk to look at this and be astonished by his work. Because although Habakkuk probably didn't realize it, God was showing him a picture of his greater plan of salvation. How would God save his people from their sin and the death that must come from a just God? Look and be astounded. Yahweh God would send his own son, Jesus Christ, to become the very sin for us. And to die. God would use his enemies. Death and sin. To achieve his ultimate victory. Over them. God would glorify 
himself. Using everything. Even the violence of Rome. The injustice of a false trial. And he would use that violence and injustice. To establish a kingdom of peace and justice forever. That will never end friends. Because of Jesus. There is a new kingdom. There is a new victory. There is a new understanding of God and a unity with him that only he could have worked for us. That is the picture. That is the astounding work that God has been doing in the days of Habakkuk and from the beginning of time, friends. And so that is why God was calling Habakkuk to see and be astounded. How does this apply to us this morning? Friends, God is doing the same thing right now. He did it in Brett. He is doing it here in our midst. God wants every one of us to be changed by him so completely to glorify him in the midst of our suffering. To glorify him in his astounding work even when it looks like violence and injustice and death are winning. Even when it looks like the opposite of what he promised. So the first application for you this morning church. Is to look among the nations. And see. What will you see? You will see war. You will see violence. You will see Ukraine invaded by Russia. You will see the United States more divided than we've been in generations. You will see supposed justice going forth perverted. You will see bodies racked and broken with disease. You will see economies devastated by a pandemic. You will see Japan rife with loneliness and depression, apathy, and suicide. You will see all of these things when you look at the nations. But as you look at them, your second application this morning is to wonder and be astounded. Wonder at the might of a God who can take all of that and not once let it out of his control. Be astounded at the lengths to which he is willing to go. That he would take all of that sin and violence and death that we see here as we look 
onto himself so that his people could be saved and sanctified. Friends, will God keep his promise to save and sanctify? Yes, he already has. His covenant with his people to be their God and to make them into his people is possible only through Jesus Christ. And because of that, friends, he will use everything Blessing and curse, victory and suffering, justice and injustice, healing and affliction, life and death. He will use all of it to restore you to him. From the very beginning... God's people were set apart. And for the people of Israel, the outward expression of that set-apartness was circumcision. But the promise goes even deeper than that, friends. In the same moment that God made his covenant with his people, God says in Deuteronomy 30, verse 6, And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, that you may live. Do you see, friends, the issue for Habakkuk And for every one of us here this morning was not how the nation of Judah would change or how God would change. It's about whether Habakkuk would let God change him. To let God do the painful, painful work of circumcising his heart no matter The cost. Because that is how God saves and sanctifies. Now it's easy to tell if a person has been circumcised physically. That's kind of the point, right? But what does it look like practically for someone's heart to be circumcised? I want to give you two examples Of what I think that looks like this morning. The first one you heard this morning. From the lips of our brother Brett. God circumcised his heart. He changed him. At such a deep level. And he is continuing to change him. The second example that I want to give this morning. I'm going to brag on my mom here a little bit. Sorry, (laughs) not really. (laughs) Last week, Randy and Diane Schreckengast shared about their experience through decades-long suffering with Parkinson's disease. Diane said, I knew God had all the power that he needed 
to bring about my healing. He could send Parkinson's packing with just a word. But he didn't. I know that God loves me. I know that God is good. And Parkinson's disease has not changed that. Given the choice, I would put Parkinson's disease behind me in a minute and move forward in restored health. But I love Jesus enough to do what he asks of me, even when I don't understand. I want this trial to be over. But I want God's glory more. Friends, that is the expression of a circumcised heart. One that recognizes the need for Jesus more than anything. More than a change in your circumstance. More than even understanding why. And I know Diane would be the first to point out that she doesn't feel this way every day. But that's the point, friends. That is the kind of faith that God is committed to working in our hearts. And to achieve that, to achieve that kind of faith, he will work in us for a lifetime. He will not stop working in you, Brett. He will not stop working in you, Diane, until he accomplishes and finishes the good work he has begun. And that means that he will use everything. Everything. That is the work that God was doing. For Habakkuk and his people. And that is the work he is doing here. In our hearts this morning. So whether. It's in your chronic disease. Whether it's in your lost job. Whether it's in your broken relationship. Whether it's in your marital struggles. Or whether it's within your battles. With sin. Every day. Friends let God. Circumcise your heart. By clinging to Jesus and his promises more than your health or your career or certainly your sin. It will almost certainly not be easy. Ask any of those here who we've talked about this morning. And it might, like for Habakkuk, result in something very different than we hope or imagine. But I promise you, it is worth it. And that's where we're going to go next week. Where we see that it is worth it. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or imagine. According to the power at work within us. To him be the glory. In the church. And in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray.
Father God, Lord, we come before you now, God, and we ask you to circumcise our hearts. God, what we see in the nations, what we see in our own hearts, screams for our need for you. And that's the point, God. We cannot find peace anywhere, Lord, but in you. God, we ask you to circumcise our hearts. God, we ask you to make us your people faithfully until the day of our death, God. Please, we know that you will not abandon us. And so, God, we ask you to work those things in our hearts today and forevermore. Amen.